Elaine and Linda come up, and then I think Kevin is the only elder who's not up here right now. Chad is uh, at the youth retreat, so be praying for the next day uh, and a half for the high school camp as they're out uh, learning about Jesus and seeking after him. But special Sunday today, uh, because we're going to just recognize uh, Blaine as an elder in our church. And if you don't know much about what that means, uh, in the scriptures, uh, the word pastor elder, bishop, overseer, shepherd. These are all words that are interchanged in the New Testament to describe uh, the function of a pastor. And, um, and so, you know, as, as we look for pastors in our church, uh, we look for men that are already doing the work without the title. And uh, Blaine is a guy that we have seen for probably the last, um, well, I've been here for five years, and I can tell you since I've been here, um, Blaine has been a guy we've had our eye on uh, to be an elder, to recognize as an elder. And uh, there was a season in our church where there were just three of us. There was Kevin and Chad and myself, and uh, we just got spread really thin. We dropped the ball in many areas, still drop the ball sometimes. But uh, man, we just were so blessed a year ago when, uh, when we appointed Aaron as an elder in the church. And then uh, it's been a neat, probably six months or something, that Blaine has just been in the process of, of uh, becoming an elder. And uh, we also look at the character of the man, as the scriptures talk about in First Timothy and in Titus, about the character and the integrity and the holiness in the man that's being appointed. And, and uh, we've, we've just seen a, a man of integrity, a man of character, a man that uh, is a shepherd that lays his life down for the sheep. And so it's just a very natural thing today to be able to uh, lay hands, as Paul says, on, on um, Blaine. He tells Timothy, don't do it hastily. And it's something that we've just been spending time just getting to know Blaine more and his theology beliefs and um, getting to know Linda more and seeing her grow in the Lord. And uh, so just an exciting thing today to just to be able to say to the church, hey, Meet one of your new pastors here. It's very exciting. So uh, we're going to pray for uh, Blaine. And we have Linda up here as well. Uh, and the reason behind that is um, we just know that the wife is a huge, huge part of the ministry of an elder. And there's a lot of sacrifices that the wife makes. There's a lot of things that, you know, people look to her sometimes for help and understanding on things. And so sometimes it just defaults to hey, Linda, what's up with this? Or, hey, Linda, where's Blaine? And, you know, nights where we're meeting and things, and maybe she'll miss Blaine and things like that. So did you know that? Did, have we talked about that at all? Oh, okay. Whoops. Well, he's going to be gone a lot. <laughs> but uh, let's lay hands on these guys, and um, we're going to pray for you. And if you're just here today, you'd like to stretch your hand out and just pray along with us over them. Lord, just thank you for this oh, exciting day. Um, it's an exciting day. It's also just such a, a day of, um, like the day of Jubilee in the scriptures where there was a relief to the people. And um, Lord, you had concern over Israel because they were like sheep without shepherds. And you have a heart to shepherd your people. And in your plan, you've chosen men, fallible men, imperfect men, uh, but you've chosen men nonetheless to be under shepherds and to be servant leaders and to tend the flock and to mend the flock and feed and, and shepherd, Lord. And so thankful for um, our sheep here today, getting a new shepherd, Lord, to help with that. We're very thankful for Blaine, Lord, and the man that you've made him to be. Even 
just in the process of the last seven years, Lord, since he began walking with you uh, again, Lord. And um, Lord, we're thankful for his character. We're thankful that um, he's a man that loves us, Lord. He loves these people. Many late nights, many tough meetings and phone calls and many trips to the hospital and just things like that, Lord. Just loving on the people. Thank you for Blaine. And we just would pray today just for that double portion of your spirit upon him that would just empower him for the work that you have entrusted to him, Lord. We pray for more gifting in his life in those areas that that he's going to need gifting in. Um, Lord, even today as he teaches us, Lord, that you would speak through him from Luke chapter 8 and just penetrate our hearts, Lord. Just give us discernment, Lord, that you're talking right to us today. And just call us out of the crowds and into your presence through Luke chapter 8. We're thankful for Linda, Lord, and just sharing the testimony in the first service of the last year and a half where she has just pressed in to knowing you more, to loving you more, to serving you more. I didn't even know that she was a, a children's ministry leader until today, and I had to go, we had to go get her out of class to come in here. Lord, thank you that you're, just, you're making even a servant out of her, Lord, for your kingdom. Thank you for the Jensen family, Lord. And we just pray, pray blessings. And Lord, just as the elders today, we just appoint, we appoint him as an elder in this church, Lord, for this body, for this family, for this flock. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 We're going to hand the pulpit over today to Blaine. So teach us, buddy. Thank you, Rory and the elders, man. Praise God. Okay, you guys, you know, as I was looking to see what I was going to study and, and praying as to how God would lead me, you know, through his word and through my testimony and trying to make um, kind of a combination of the two. And, and we were going to do it last Sunday, but of course the weather kind of held us out. Um, I ran across a, a verse in Luke chapter 8. And by the way, does everybody have a Bible? If you don't, Let's pass out some and make sure, if you guys could raise your hands for those that don't, we've got plenty we'll hand out to you to make sure you can kind of follow along in Luke chapter 8. But as, um, as I was praying and, and taking a look at, at this scripture, it just jumped out at, at me as what was going on in this story, um, how similar my life was or my calling uh, to press in and touch Jesus. Uh, it, it was one of those things that the Lord led me to, to research this set of scriptures, this set of verses, and to, to teach on this today. So you guys, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. And the main verse I will be speaking about, and we'll teach around it, but the main point is Luke chapter 8, verse 46. And what it says is, it says, Jesus said, somebody touched me, for I perceived power going out from me. You guys, at 46 years old, seven years ago this spring, I came home from church. I had grown up in the church. I'd been around the church. I knew Jesus. Um, I was in the crowd. I was gathered around him. 
but I didn't know him experientially. And as I came home from church that day, I went home, went up into a room, shut the door by myself, hit my knees, and just said, Jesus, I would gladly give you everything I've got from my marriage to my relationships to my family, children, business, finances, personal health. And Lord, if you, if you require my soul for me that day, you can have it as long as I can exchange it for knowing you, for touching you for experiencing Jesus in my life. And my life changed at that point in time, and it changed um, in, in a way that it would never, ever, ever be the same again. And I remember my son, who was in his mid-20s or something like that back then, and, and I remember him looking at me you know, within that first six months or so after Christ had touched me and changed me, saying, oh, Dad, this is just a fad. It'll pass. You'll get over it. This is one of those seasons. And I'd tell him, you know what? It's not. This is for real. This is for real. Jesus changed me. So let's, let's build the, the scene around this verse in verse 46 that says, Somebody touched me for I perceived power going out from me. Starting, you guys, with verse 42, the end of verse 42. It says, But as he went, the multitudes thronged him. Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years, who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you, and you say, who touched me? But Jesus said, somebody touched me, for I perceived power going out from me. Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling. And falling down before him, she declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, Daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So the first section, the first point I want to bring up as we teach through this verse, you guys, is um, let's talk about the multitudes. Let's talk about the multitudes that were gathered around Christ. Let's talk about the multitudes that come into buildings like this and gather around Christ nowadays because it's applicable at this time also. Um, who made up the multitudes, and why were they there? It says in, in uh, the end of verse 42, it says, but as he went, the multitudes thronged him. Verse 5, it said, uh, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you. And if you read from Matthew 1 through the Gospel of John, in the four Gospels, Christ is always, during his ministry work, gathered um, multitudes around him. He was always in the center of that. And as you study the multitudes and you take a look at it, very little good came out of that. As you go through the end of the Gospels and you reach into Acts chapter 1, there was 120 people that were left in the upper room who had given their lives for Christ. 
who had said, you know, that they were willing to deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow Jesus. So let's take a look at that. Let's look maybe a little bit at the negative side of what was kind of going on here. Um, first off, why were these people there? Let, let's kind of look at that question. Why were these multitudes gathered around Christ? Well, um, number one, they were there to hear the word of God. A couple chapters before in Luke chapter 5 verse 1, it says, So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. They were, they were there to hear him. He taught as one having authority. If you go back into Matthew chapter 7, the last couple of verses of Matthew chapter 7, verse 28 and 29, it says this, And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. So they gathered around, gathered around him for that. Of course, they gathered around to watch Jesus perform miracles of healing and to free people from being possessed with unclean spirits. You know, let's see, uh, back a couple of pages from where we are in Luke 8, in Luke chapter 6, verse 17 and 18, it says, And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and be healed of their diseases as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits. And they were healed. So they came for that. They, of course, obviously, I suppose, um, came to take part of the fishes and the loaves. Right? They, they wanted to take part of lunch. They came also to be entertained. They wanted their ears tickled. They wanted to be counted as the crowd. They wanted to be counted as one of those that's around Jesus, that is gathered around him. Let's take a look, take a look at those uh, that comprise the who of those that made up the multitudes around Jesus Christ, especially in this Luke chapter 6. Two um, categories of people that I kind of divided this up into that make up the who around Christ. The first one is those whose custom and habit it was to do so. Just like nowadays. They come to church because their parents came to church. They come to church because they've been doing that since they were a little kid. It's their habit to do that. They came because they always have come. Right? They think it's wrong not to come. This is what we do. I wanted to be counted as one of those good people, right? That were the kind of people that went to church on Sunday. That gathered around Christ. They took no interest, this people who was accustomed and habited is to do so, took no interest in what was going on. They just wanted to be there. They do not and they cannot enter into the heart and soul of the service. Their goal was not to press in to know Jesus. They were glad if the sermon was short. They're easily distracted. That kind of puts together the first group of those whose custom and habit, again, it is to do so. So uh, uh, category number two of, of those who make up and who comprise the multitudes. 
the self-righteous. Those who come to the Lord's table, they may join the church. They're baptized, but not baptized in the spirit. They take communion, but they don't take of the Lord himself. They partake of the bread, but not of the Lord's flesh. They drink of the cup, but they don't partake of the Lord's blood sacrificed at the cross. The old man never died. You don't see fruit coming out of them in their lives. Everything is only outward, external, and religious, right? These are kind of the two groups that make up the multitudes. They're content with the shell and not with the blessed kernel that lies, lies inside for those who are willing to press in. And I bring up, you guys, the description of the multitudes that gathered around Christ because I was that. Like I told you in the beginning, I was one of those that went to church beginning at six years old. I went through the whole Sunday school thing. I went through the whole, in the Lutheran church, it's called confirmation, kind of an advanced Sunday school. I knew who Jesus was. I showed up to church, you know, as often as we did. Um, I counted myself as ones that were part of the multitude. I wanted to be around Jesus. I wanted to be counted as the group that hangs out with Jesus, right? The problem is, is these multitudes kind of come and go like the ocean's tides, right? They flood in and they flood out and that kind of thing till one day the Lord requires their soul or my soul from me. And you find yourself before the throne of grace, and these are the kind of words that I can expect I would have been in had I been there. Just one of those guys that came and went with the multitudes. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Maybe I was part of uh, the Luke chapter 13 discussion of the same thing. Where Christ said, strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us, and he will answer and say to you, I do not know you where you are from. And you, then you begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. Right? I was part of the crowd. Part of the multitude. Part of those that come into church. Part of those that leave. Right? I was with you. We hung out. I was there at the corner. I was there at every one of your meetings that you had as you walked through the towns. And he will say, I tell you, I do not know you where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. Listen, nothing's recorded about this particular multitude that's gathered around Christ in Luke chapter 8, except one certain somebody. Right? The ocean tides came in, and this time when they recede, it left somebody. So let's take a look at who this somebody is, okay? Let's kind of break that down. Verse 43 says, Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years, who had, sent, who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, 
came from behind and touched the border of his garment. Okay, so who was this certain somebody? What does she look like? What is she um, uh, comprised of? What, what is her makeup? Well, we know she was a woman, and we know she was a woman weakened by disease. We know she was designated an unclean woman according to Leviticus chapter 15, verse 25 through 30 in there somewhere. She was unclean. She had been unclean for 12 years. She had no right to be in the crowd. She should have been confined to her house. She was probably shunned by her own family. And being unclean for 12 years, according to the law, she was probably labeled permanently unclean. She was excluded from any opportunity to worship. She was not allowed into the temple. She was not allowed into the synagogue. This was a woman that was labeled unclean. She was destitute. She was broken. You know, according to the second part here of verse 43, it says that she spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any. She was the, at the end of all her self-sufficiency. She was at the end of all self-reliance. She had nothing left. She was at the very, very bottom. She was broken, and she was at the end of her rope. But she had one hope. One hope. And if you look at Matthew's, um, um, Matthew's recording of the same story, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 21, it says that she said to herself, If only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. Listen, this was a promise that God had put on her heart. And she hung on to that promise with a faith that she would not let go and she would do whatever it took to accomplish that promise. And it moved her into action. She had one way, one way. And Jesus Christ says, right, in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. She had to touch Jesus. So it says in verse 44, it says, She came from behind and touched the border of his garment. Right? Jesus said, somebody touched me. Somebody touched me. How did she come? It says she came from behind, right? She came, number one, under many difficulties. She was sick. She was weak. She was not wanted. She was despised by the crowd. She was probably battered and bruised by the crowd. But she had this one Hope, right? One hope. And I thought about this, you guys, as in my life, as when I first came to Christ. What was it that brought me to a place when I came home that one day and hit my knees and said, Lord, take it all. I want you. And I want to know you personally and intimately. And I remember reading across... Um, a, a verse in John chapter 14, verse 21, and listen to this. 
It says, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. I needed that. What's it like to have Jesus Christ manifest himself to you? To live in you and abide in you, right? What's it like? His promise is there. I couldn't figure that out. What do I got to do? In Revelations chapter 3, verse 20, um, as I go through some of the promises that I grabbed a hold of, Revelations 3, verse 20, um, you guys know what it says. Uh, Behold, I stand and knock at the door. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and him with me. How does that happen? How does that work? I needed that. And the more I kept kind of looking and the more uh, God was putting on my heart to just seek him and to press him and figure this thing out. There's a few other promises that I ran across. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29 says this. But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. In First Chronicles chapter 28, verse 9, it says, As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Forever. Proverbs chapter 8 verse 17 says this. It says, I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently will find me. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says this. But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You see kind of a common thread through these verses, and I was starting to get it at this time, going, listen, so Jesus has promised that if I seek him with everything I've got, he promises that I'll find him, and it'll be personal. You know, that was the kind of thing that, um, that I hung on to. I remember... Um, Gosh, this was back in the summer of 07. You guys, I was saved in the spring of 07, and back then we were doing kind of concerts in the park down at Pioneer Park next to the courthouse down there. And um, I was new. I was newly born again. I had no clue what was going on in my life spiritually. I, I didn't know what was happening within me. All I know is I was changed, and it was good, and it wasn't ever going to go back to the way it was. And I was sitting next to Kevin, I don't know if Kevin heard this at first service, but I was sitting next to Kevin. We were, we were passing out water bottles. It was hot. It was 100 degrees that day or something like that. And him and I were talking and sharing with each other going, you know, how has Christ touched you? What happened? What happened in your life? And I remember we kind of both landed on this one set of verses that perfectly describes my salvation story. Maybe yours too in here. And it was Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11 through 14. The first couple parts of this verse is real common, but let me continue with it, okay? It says, For I know the thoughts that I have toward you, 
thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord. That was almost exact. You guys, that was me. If I remember right, talking to Kevin, that was Kevin. Those were the kind of promises, you guys, that spurred me out of being in the religious multitude, the religious crowd, those whose habit it was to be there. Self-righteous as I was, thinking I was gaining something by coming to church and hanging out with the church crowd. So that was the promise, that's the kind of promise that this gal had also, right? She was given this promise, listen, she was given this promise, said, if I may only touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made well. And she did come, she did come under many, many difficulties, like we talked about before. It wasn't easy, but she pressed in anyway. You know, it's a fight. I got to say, to you guys here today that maybe have been following Christ, the world system, Satan and his world system, does not want you to have contact with the living Lord, Jesus, the Christ. And I tell you what, the distractions will come, the circumstances that are going to pull you away from times that you're on your knees and praying, your phone's going to go off, something's going to happen. Because there's power that comes from that. You gotta press through. You gotta be resilient. You have to be resolved. Okay, how else did she come? She came in secret. Says she came from behind, right? And touched the hem of his garment. Maybe you don't have the boldness to tell somebody that you've made the um, decision to trust in Jesus. Maybe you're embarrassed to say, you know what, I've been going to church like I have, been going to church for years, for decades, but I've never experienced him. Maybe it's just been a very long time. But be assured that if you come to touch Christ in the multitudes and in the crowd, or you come to touch Christ like I did, um, locked away in a room in the dark, hitting your knees by yourself, When you've reached in to touch Jesus with everything you've got, Jesus knows. Jesus knows. He's taken note of that. She came under a sense of unworthiness. She was shunned by friends and family. Like I said before, she was probably permanently labeled unclean. Whoever she touched became unclean. Have you ever thought about that? She's pressing through the crowd. Do you think they wanted her there? You know how unworthy she felt? I'm sure she was asking herself, saying, look, look, is is grace really for me? Is Jesus Christ really for me? And I got to tell you guys, Christ did not come for the worthy, but for the unworthy. And if you are ashamed of yourself, Jesus Christ is not ashamed of you. Hold on to that. She came trembling in faith. 
It was only a hurried touch, but it was a touch of faith. She had to touch Jesus himself. Being in the multitude, you guys, being in the crowd, that would not have helped. That wasn't the promise she was given. The promise was given that if she were to go touch just at least the hem of his garment, she'd be made well. Getting close wasn't going to do. Reaching in to touch those prominent men around Christ, for her to touch James and John and Peter, that would amount to nothing. The promise is you touch Christ. That was the promise given to her. This was a life and death matter, you guys. This was not just, oh, well, I, I think I'd like to do that. This was life and death. She had this one option, and she was willing to do whatever it took to achieve this, to fight her way through the crowd that couldn't stand her, that despised her, to do what it took to touch the hem of that garment. Ask yourself, what am I willing to do? How far am I willing to go to press through to touch him? To feel and experience the glory of his presence living and dwelling and reigning in you? What am I willing to go through? Because it's really easy to slide out of that. It's really easy to slide into self-sufficiency and self-reliance. And sometimes then time slides, slides by and maybe it's been weeks or months or years since you've actually experienced Jesus Christ in you. As it says in Colossians chapter 1, the hope of glory, right? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Make it personal. Rely on his healing touch. His bloody sacrifice. His dying love. His rising power. His ascending plea. It says at the end of verse 44, it says, Immediately her flow of blood stopped. Having touched Jesus himself, she received power and she was healed immediately. This flow of blood was a picture of sin. We kind of touched on that a little bit earlier in Leviticus chapter 15. Because for that, she had to wait seven days after her customary impurity and, and, and give a burnt offering and a sin offering to do this. So as a picture of sin, as this blood being a picture of sin, the description is that this flow of blood lasted 12 years. How many of you have been lost in the bondage of sin under sin's control, under sin's chains and shackles for longer than 12 years? For me it was. I was 46 years old, you guys. I'd been walking on my own self-sufficiency, my self-reliance, my own self-direction, my own self-righteousness. I was my own God. And that went on for years, way more than 12 years. And for those of you that may have known me for longer than the seven years I've been saved, you might realize that. No matter the scope or the magnitude of your sin, 
If you press in diligently to touch him, to do what it takes to touch him intimately and personally, he does have the power to heal you, to heal you from that sin, to change you. Even if you're like the the man in Mark chapter 5, Do you remember that guy that was possessed with a legion of demons? 2,000 demons. He ran around naked in the tombs. He cut himself. He was screaming all hours of the night. You couldn't chain him. You couldn't shackle him. Right? This is the picture of the magnitude of this guy's sin. He'd break the chains. He'd break the shackles. And with a touch of Jesus... What do we read in that Mark chapter 5 story? We read that he was found sitting at the foot of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. That's the touch of Jesus. Some of you guys only speak or talk about your past experiences as if it's been a while, your past glories of Christ living in you. Sometimes worship has become a religion. Sometimes even as we come in here and we sing and we worship, we listen to the teaching, we we partake of communion, it just becomes what we do, right? It's easy to slide into that. Don't live off your past glories. Jesus Christ is there. And he desires you to reach in and touch If that's a place where we've been, for some of us that have been coming and going in this church for a long time, and say it's been a while since you've felt his presence in you, repent of that. Confess it as sin. Confess your self-sufficiency and your self-reliance. Confess your self-direction. Confess of trying to walk on this side of heaven without his power. And come back to him like you did in the first place. Because if you have known him, then you've experienced him. He's waiting there for you to experience it again. It says in verse 46, it says, Jesus said, somebody touched me, for I perceived power going out from me. First of all, if you've touched him, Jesus knows it. This lady snuck through the crowd reached in and just touched the hem of his robe. But Jesus knew it. Jesus knew the diligence. Jesus knew the focus. Jesus knew the perseverance. And Jesus knew the touch had happened. You may be a stranger today in this room, You may have come here for the first time. Maybe you came here and you didn't know of Jesus Christ. You didn't know what he's done for you. You didn't know that he's died on the cross to pay the price and the penalty due you for your sins. And maybe through this, through worship and gathering around of these people who love Jesus Christ, you've found that you've touched him. You've reached in, you've, you've experienced and you've felt his touch. Your name is no longer nobody. Your name is somebody. Because Jesus said, somebody touched me. If you've received the blessing of his presence, 
Jesus knows. And if it happened in secret, and nobody else around you know right, they know right now, two people do know. Jesus knows, and you know. Be guaranteed of that. It says in Luke chapter 15, verse 10, it says, Likewise I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. No matter how unworthy you think you are, Jesus knows you. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, the verse goes like this. It says, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Jesus knows. If you've touched him, that means he's touched you. And he knows it. It says at the end of verse 46, it says, uh, as he said, somebody touched me. But he says, for I perceive power going out from me. She received power from that touch. What is this power? What does it mean to us? Well, you guys, listen. This is the power from touching him and from, from gaining the blessing of his glorious presence in you. This is the power to heal, to be healed. This is the power to break the bonds of sin. This is the power to pray. This is the power to love the unlovable. This is the power to kill off the old man. This is the power for the new man to be raised in glory in the image of Christ. This is the power to change. This is the power to grow. This is the power to understand his word. This is the power to obey his word. This is the power to boldly proclaim his glory. This is the power to trust him unconditionally and blindly through life's circumstances. This is the power to endure power to continue to walk worthy of the calling that he's placed upon your life. This is the power to live a life yielded to Jesus Christ as personal Lord. Verse 47. It says, Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling, and falling down before him, she declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. She declared to him in the presence of all the people. If you've touched Christ and Christ has touched you, then he will speak to you and he will ask you questions that will draw you out away from your your solitude and he will present you to the world. He will manifest you to the world. As I told first service, you guys, when I was saved, that that day that I hit my knees and I received the power and presence of Christ, this speaking up here in front of you guys, this was not me. This was not my goal. I wanted to know Jesus. He wants others to know 
of his glory. And he has the power to bring us through the steps in boldness to proclaim his glory. Since Jesus knows of your salvation, he desires that others know it too. Maybe you're scared and just don't know what to say. You know, just do what this lady did. What this woman did in the presence of Christ and everybody else is she just told the truth. She just told in reality, this is what happened. I touched him and I was healed. I've been made clean. I've been saved. Your friends, your family, your brothers and sisters in Christ in this room that gather around you, they don't want to hear a manufactured story of something that sounds good. Nobody wants that. But we do want to hear from you. We want to hear what Jesus did in your life. How Jesus touched you. How you were willing to press through the distractions of this life to touch him and experience him living in you. If you've touched Jesus, tell us about it. Tell others about it. Maybe in this way they can experience him too. You guys, in, in closing, there's three things that I want to kind of make sure that we remember in this section of verses and this little bit of teaching. Number one, let us never ever be satisfied with anything less than a personal, real, intimate touch with Jesus. And that's available all day long, every day. In your prayer, in your prayer life, don't be satisfied just to hit your knees. Don't be satisfied to just mouth the words. Press in. Take the time. Be resolute. And touch him. In your worship, when you come here to gather in the assembly of the saints, rather than just singing, close your eyes. Sing to Jesus. Touch him. In your personal Bible study, don't just read the words. It's easy to get into that habit. Make it real. Press in to touch him. In your partaking of communion, which we're going to do here in a little while, don't let communion be just going through the motions. This is what I do. This is how I do it. This is how I take the bread. This is how I take the cup. This is how I go back to my, my chair and mumble a few words and, and, and move on with it. Don't go through the motions. Remember his bloody sacrifice on the cross. Remember God himself came to this earth, fully God, fully man, lived a life you couldn't live, died a death you couldn't die, paid the price that you had no ability to do, paid the penalty of the entirety of the wrath of God upon you for your sin and died for you. And he wants you. He doesn't want your mumbling. He wants you. There was a song, man, that was popular, you guys, about five years ago. 
And worship team, if you want to kind of head on up here, we'll start getting ready to close. Um, there was a song that was popular, and it, it kind of went like this. Um, I don't want to go through the motions. I don't want to go one more day without your all-consuming passion inside of me. Let's not go through the motions anymore. Let's not do that. You guys, there's, if you've reached in to touch him, first off, understand that he will bless you for that. If you've received the blessing, Christ knows it. You guys, about a week ago, had a young man come into Par Lumber, where I'm working now, and, and he just needed a gallon of primer. And, uh, and he came in, and it was last Friday, so it was snowing like crazy. And um, had his stocking cap pulled down, looked about the age of my son, and looked like I should know him. I mean, he looked really, really familiar. So I grabbed his primer, and I'm shaking it up, you guys, and I'm looking at him going, I must know this guy. And when I was done, I took it, and I grabbed it, grabbed it walked it to him, and I, it had to come out, right? I'm, I'm going, you know what? I, I, I should know you. You look really, really familiar. He goes, yeah, you do. He goes, my name's Luke. You know my dad, he's a contractor in town. And uh, I said, man, buddy, I haven't seen you for years. It's been five or six years since I've seen you. Um, this guy was friends with my son for a while. He goes, yeah, he goes, I've had a rough time of it. He goes, I got addicted to meth. I became a heroin addict. I got kicked out of my house. I got kicked out of every place I could go. I ended up in the streets. I lived in the streets, tried to make a go of it. He goes, I got busted for intent to distribute. I spent 18 months in prison. I came out, he said, and I couldn't help myself. I got addicted again. And he goes, I've gone through all the rehab things. None of that worked. And he goes, somebody came to me and introduced me to, um, thank you, Teen Challenge. And he goes, after being in prison, after all that time, he goes, I thought I'd give it a shot. And he goes, I went to Teen Challenge. I spent 18 months in an in, inpatient care. And he goes, I'm clean. And I looked at him, you guys, and I said, you know Jesus, don't you? And he goes, I mean, I didn't before. He goes, but I do now. He goes, I've been touched. And he goes, I got about two more months that I'm doing to help out my dad. And he goes, then I've been hired by Teen Challenge. Thank you. <laughs> he goes, I've been hired by Teen Challenge as a, um, a, a spiritual evangelical counselor. I'm going, praise God. I said, you know what? Your dad does not know Jesus. And he goes, I know. He goes, but we're going to church for the first time this Sunday. I'm telling you, if you press in, Jesus has the power to change you. He has the power to grow you. He has the power to release you from your bondage of sin. He has the power to make a new man or a new woman out of you. And I tell you what, if there's one thing as a burning desire in the heart of your eldership, it's that you would walk continuously 
with the presence of Jesus Christ living in you. Because when Jesus lives in you, there's power. When Jesus lives in you, there's change. When Jesus lives in you, there's discipleship making. There's evangelical work happening. There's counseling being done. There's marriages being restored. Jesus has the power. You guys, as we start this last song, uh, I invite all of you to come up and partake of communion. Come up and grab the bread, grab the cups. Take it back to your seat. During this song, go ahead and partake on your own. One contingency. If you do not desire Jesus Christ to be part of your life, don't come up. But if you do, or you've been touched today, or you haven't felt his presence in a long time, come up. Partake of the sacraments of communion. Go back to your chair and be real with Jesus. Be real. Say, Lord, man, I need to touch you. I take this as a... Um, um, an example, a representation of the sacrifice that you paid on the cross for me. I am totally unworthy, but I want you in me. I want you in my life. Press in. Make it personal. Make it intimate. You've been listening to the teaching ministry at Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Primeville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write us at P.O. Box 378, Primeville, Oregon 97754. Or check us out further at our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.